Good day, and welcome to Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director of the CRC, and in the next few minutes, we'll be looking at Michigan through a policy lens. We're interested in Michigan's past, present, and future, and our discussions here will be informed by our 101 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all. Once again, I'm joined by my colleague, Craig Thiel, the research director here at the CRC. Welcome, Craig. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, always. And what's possible starts with money. The legislature recently held its annual revenue estimating conference, which is a pretty self-explanatory name. But Craig, why don't you give us a little background on what that is and what it portends for the legislature's work ahead. Okay, uh, real quickly, you know, the Revenue Estimating Conference is held in January, and then there's another one in May. Uh, The January conference is set up to kind of inform the governor's budget that'll come out in February. And uh, what the conferees do, which is the, the House and the Senate and then the administration, they all get around a table and agree to how the Michigan economy is doing, how the national economy is doing. What sort of tax revenue we can expect. And then what kind of of revenues we we can expect. Um, Their decisions are informed by experts in the House, the Senate, and the governor's office, uh, as well as outside experts come in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the main idea is to get everyone on the same page about the, the, the kind of economic picture today and maybe in the next three to five years, as well as the revenue picture. Um, this is important for, you know, setting the budget for the governor, and then the, the conference that occurs in May becomes kind of the base on which the, the legislative budget proposal or recommendation uh, is based on. Okay. So this um, this conference was has already been held. Uh, were there any particular highlights, surprises, anything that you saw in that that you think are is worth uh, discussing? Well, the um, January conference kind of uh, looks back and says, well, wh- what did we look at last May and how are things going uh, relative to there? And not much uh, change uh, from last May's conference. Uh, this most recent iteration, uh, we have a look into another year ahead, which would be into fiscal year 2020. We didn't have that in 17. And what we see is kind of a continuation of the current trend, and that that is, uh, at least in terms of the state's uh, tax revenue going into the general fund and to the school aid fund, we see the general fund kind of barely crawling along, uh, annual growth less than 1%, and then the school aid fund kind of growing at a robust, moderate to robust um, uh, rate in the 3% range. So we we do get a picture of kind of the long-term revenue trend for 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'll point out that a lot of the general fund revenue estimate um, that uh, a good portion of that revenue estimate and the reason for its slow growth is something we talked about in our previous podcast, which was these diversions of revenues to 
other spending promises we made in the promises we've made so again just a refresher uh some of the use tax is going to be going to pay uh uh, local governments for their lost personal property tax right um in this year we have the first of a uh phased up uh allocation of general fund resources for transportation Mm -hmm. so these things are all kind of counter uh, headwinds to general fund growth. And so that's why those growth rates are, you know, below 1% for the next few years. Sure. But the school aid fund, you said, is doing pretty well. And you had a blog on our site uh, last week, I think, on one of the interesting things that came out of this conference. It's not it's not bombshell news, but um, apparently charter school enrollment has finally seems to have topped out. Uh, that's what the numbers say. The The conference also estimates um, the number of public school empl- uh, students uh, right. for the next few years. And uh, we've seen a slowdown in the growth in charter enrollment uh, in recent years. And th- this year, the current year we're in, school year 17-18, uh, would be the first year that the uh, total enrollment across all charter schools in Michigan actually declines. And right. so that breaks a 21-year trend. The question is, is this the sign of a new trend, a declining enrollment in the charter sector, or is this just a one-year blip? Yeah. And it, it appears to be a one-year blip uh, because the estimators have charter enrollment going up just a, 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 a touch next year and then the following year. Um, I should say flat next year and then going up just a little bit in the 2020 year. But still, it's significant because it is uh, breaks with the long-term trend. Right, exactly. As the editorial writers like to say, only time will tell. (laughs) So this is uh, an election year, 2018, and we're told to expect Lansing to be quiet during the summer as legislators concentrate on their campaigns. Does this suggest a quiet year in terms of bills passed? Or do you think it portends a frantic lame duck after the election? Well, early on, I think it's likely to be quite active. Um, You know, some of the work that didn't get done in 2017 is on the front burner for 2018. Mm -hmm. We've seen that already. We talked about some of the tax proposals that are in the House and the Senate and are already moving. Um, there's the issue of the driver responsibility fees. Uh, this is a, uh, a state program that was put in place. Very unpopular. Very unpopular during the last decade, largely as a way to balance the budget. It's been... Explain a driver responsibility fee, because I would think that most people of this who listen to this podcast are unfamiliar with those. Right. Well, and if they are familiar with them, they don't have a very good impression no. of them. Because basically what was done um, in the early part of the last decade uh, to help balance the budget was to look at you know, people who were driving without insurance um, and and a number of other infractions involving motor vehicles and assessing very large fees on those individuals um, and then not allowing them to get their driver's license um, if, right. if they didn't have that, not allowing to register their vehicles. Um, this has got all types of spinoff effects um, in, addition, in addition to... Um, you know, costing people money. It's costing them an opportunity to get employed in the workforce. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely unpopular, particularly in lower income communities where a lot of people don't have insurance because they simply can't afford it. And so then they get pulled over and they get hit with a, 
a driver responsibility fee, their license gets suspended, and suddenly they can't get to work. And then they can't get to work, they lose their job. I mean, it's a it's almost like one of the things we talked about in the last podcast. It was one of those things that probably sounded good at the time, but has had a a, a, a long tail of effects on real people that make it a questionable policy. Right. And so uh, the legislature wanted to get this done at the end of the last session, wasn't able to do that. You know, there's some real cost to the state finances because they wouldn't be collecting these fees. Right. But, you know, the the larger picture are, are the benefits, the, the maybe the benefits don't that don't directly accrue to the budget. Um, and they'd like to see those um, come about by by eliminating these fees. OK. Uh, just a little background for listeners who aren't up on every nuance of the debate over funding public education. But for in recent years, that debate has revolved around the idea of equity versus adequacy. So briefly, these are opposing views on how tax dollars should be distributed to schools, either by dividing available monies per capita among the state's school children, that's equity, or by acknowledging that some children simply cost more to educate and funding these districts accordingly or adequately. Now, this is a huge oversimplification because there are many other contributing factors. But that's the general idea. Would you agree on that one, Craig? Yes, I would. Okay. So Michigan funds its schools per pupil, which is an arrangement that sets up traditional public and charter schools to compete with one another for students because each one comes with at least... stuffed in his or her backpack. But in the last couple of years, first one study and now another says we are doing it wrong, that our schools should be funded adequately, not equitably. So this new study dropped last month and says we need to put a lot more money into Michigan's public schools and we need to distribute it adequately. So Craig, what can you tell us about this latest report? Well, it's a clocks in at a whopping near 300 page. So there's a <laughs> lot of material there. Very thorough study. Um, and, and you're right, getting back to your introduction, Michigan has basically adopted a what they deem an, as an equitable distribution of funding. Per and pupil fund. What, what that means is we're trying to equalize funding. Right. If, if your listeners can think back to Proposal A in the mid-90s, there was great discrepancies across school districts in what the per-pupil spending was. And so a promise of Proposal A was to reduce that, that gap between the low spending and the high spending districts. So for the last 20, near 25 years, that has been kind of the MO of our school funding system, trying to narrow that gap. Even it, though there still is quite a bit of discrepancy between districts over how much is spent. On there, there are, but there has been considerable progress. Yes, yes, and there's considerable progress on that front. Um, we, don't, it, we don't have any more disasters like Kalkaska, you know, which had to actually close its doors in January because they ran out of money sometime in the early 90s, wasn't it? Right, there? and that, that, that's related to another part of the reform, which was moving the funding of schools out of the province of local school districts and their property taxes up to the state level and and relying on state level taxes to fund schools. So this report comes out and is a clarion call to say, you know what, you need, you, Michigan, need to change the way you fund schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And specifically, they say, and, and this report is informed by the best research 
across the country on what works in schools, what works in schools that are achieving on the academic um, level, uh, as well as it's informed by um, educators in Michigan. They did uh, a number of interviews and panels with different educators, administrators um, across the gamut in Michigan to help inform this research. And what they say, the, the number one recommendation is stop your kind of blind faith in just equalizing funding across everybody, and let's look at the individual characteristics of students and schools and then provide the resources to those uh, kids and those schools uh, based on those characteristics. Right, and that that's essentially an acknowledgement that uh, lower-income children can cost more to educate uh, English as second language children, uh, special ed, special needs. These are all complicating factors that make equitable per-pupil funding a little naive. Exactly. And so these reports that have been done, these adequacy studies that have been done across the country, come up with what is a, known as a base cost, what it, would, what it would cost to educate a kid, whether or not he's in Hazlitt uh, in Ingham County or Detroit in Wayne County. And so the base cost is kind of the bare minimum that every, and it doesn't matter if you're a traditional public school or a charter, this is what it costs to get kids to meet high standards, which Michigan has, and to achieve um, on the academic side. And what is that amount? Well, their proposal or their recommendation, it's about $9,500 per kid. In other words, $2,000 more per pupil than we're spending now. Uh, yeah, using averages, about 2000 So in addition to that, then, uh, part of an adequacy study says, well, what are those additional resources to meet kids at where they're at both in terms of their economic background, their learning background, their where they are in terms of language, um, as well as special education, and what additional resources do those children need to achieve and hit the high standards um, benchmarks that Michigan has set. And so on top of the base funding, uh, the report calls for additional funding for kids who are challenged learning the English language kids who come from poor, economically disadvantaged backgrounds, children who have um, disabilities, and kind of the severity of that disability right. figures into these weightings. So um, the report, again, is very comprehensive. It's been uh, making the rounds in Michigan across the state, and we'll see uh, how much of it the, the legislature takes up um, in its deliberations on the school funding for the next year. Yeah. It sounds like they're going to need every uh, penny of that uh, robust growth in the school aid fund. Yes. They'll probably need every penny and then some. Um, yeah. You know, just for your listeners, the last time we reformed K-12 through education, uh, which was Proposal A, there was a modest bump in the amount of funding overall that was going to uh, K-12 through education. Mm -hmm. um, this calls for a much larger bump in uh, Very large funding bump. Yeah. Uh, uh, on net across the state. Right. So, okay. Okay, then. Uh, now we're getting into well into the year now, and our research at the Citizens Research Council is starting to queue up. Can you tell us anything about the first uh, one or two reports that we have coming in 2018? 
Sure, and I can uh, highlight some of the things that we see coming uh, later in the year as well. But right out of the gate, uh, we'll be issuing a report that looks at Michigan and its local government's uh, ability to uh, raise additional resources to meet the needs of citizens at the local level. Okay. Um, we, so this is taxes, basically. This is the taxes uh, report. Um, we wanted to look and say, you know, what are the constraints on local government in Michigan? Put those in comparison to uh, the nation. And then within those constraints, you know, what are the options available to Michigan local governments to uh, fund services. So we go through a list of uh, different local option taxes that um, are authorized in other states and other local communities in other states, um, but that our state uh, law doesn't allow. Um, and, and we talk about what would need to change for uh, Michigan to authorize those local governments hmm. to, to do that. That sounds pretty wonky, but it, uh, <laughs> it, yes, it is, and it's kind of following but very important. Following on to um, some of the previous research we've done, we've looked at um, other ways that local governments have kind of tried to figure out these fiscal challenges in terms of consolidation and collaboration. And our report last year that talked about counties taking on um, a larger role. We we wanted to say, well, if if we're going to have to turn to uh, additional taxes, what what's the lay of the land in Michigan in terms of local option taxes? Right. And you know we're we're looking at both a national picture, but also looking within the Great Lakes region to see what our kind of peer uh, neighbor states uh, allow their local government. So okay. uh, most of your listeners probably been to Chicago. Many have been to Chicago, and they know that you go there, and you know sales taxes are quite high in large measure because there's a, a large uh, sales tax um, put on uh, at in Cook County and right. Chicago. We don't have that in Michigan. Um, so some of that tax is exported to visitors. Um, other communities allow taxes on, uh, you know, entertainment tickets um, uh, and bed the like. Bed taxes, hotels. Bed ta bed, right. and, yeah. and Michigan does do some of that, um, but... W you know, not to the extent that, that other um, communities are doing that. So that's okay. that's the first report. Um, we're also uh, looking at um, uh, public health funding in the state of Michigan mm -hmm. and specifically looking at how Michigan stacks up to kind of the nation. Uh, and a little insight here, the nation doesn't do very well, and <laughs> Michigan doesn't do very well, you know, in that context. So it's not going to be a great... Um, picture that we paint of public health uh, spending. And uh, so our uh, colleague, uh, Tim Mischling, is going to be looking at public health uh, and, and then dive into that topic a little more as the year goes okay. forward. That, that's going to be a good discussion when we finally get that one, because that's, uh, that's something that affects everybody in the state. Right. So. And public health is everything from water systems, immunizations, um, right. uh, you know, uh, and, and it's a pretty broad category. Maternal and baby care. Yes, yeah, everything. Exactly. Right. Okay. And then um, later in the year, uh, kind of looking forward, uh, the the ballot questions. Mm -hmm. CRC oh. has a history um, those and are a our proud greatest history. hits. Yes, Absolutely. they are our greatest people, hits. People uh, people download those papers at a um, at a brisk rate when they finally drop because to help them understand some of these confusing things that can come on the the ballot in November. Right, and so uh, the ballot in November, uh, it's not 
entirely clear at this point what's going to be on there, but there's a potential for 10 ballot questions uh, divided between initiated laws and constitutional amendments, and CRC will do a full analysis of those issues. So gerrymandering, medical marijuana. What? Recreational marijuana. I'm sorry. Yeah, recreational. You're right. Recreational marijuana. Um, let's see. What else are we looking for? Um, uh, there's a part-time legislature part-time proposal. Part-time legislature, right. There's a lot that, well, not all of this may actually make it to the ballot. Right. So, so we'll have a clearer picture later in the year, and our reports will come out, you know, late summer, early fall to help form, inform, you know, the public's decision-making. Because okay. we really think that in those instances, the public is now the state legislator yeah. making the, the important decisions on public policies. And issues. they need the facts on that. Okay, one more before we wrap up. Don't we have uh, one coming on the urban-rural divide? Yes. That's going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, so uh, on the heels of the 2016 uh, general election... Which exposed the vast gulf between rural and urban voters. Yep. Uh, we decided we'll just take a look at, you know a number of data points and how they break down, um, you know, across rural communities in Michigan and urban communities. And so we look at health, we look at uh, economic issues, we look at crime issues, just to get a picture of how these two seemingly different, you know, populations are dealing with similar issues, and what does that mean for public policy going forward? Right. Just, again, kind of a a baseline of comparisons between the two that that helps us understand one another a little bit better. Right. And I think uh, this work will help inform our research that comes uh, in in later in the year, in later years. Um, You know, and I think what we're finding is as many differences there are between urban and rural settings, there's some very interesting similarities, um, especially when we talk about some of the concerns, um, uh, poverty concerns, yes. and that what does you know rural poverty and urban poverty have in common, and where and and also where is it more severe? Um, right. Is it more severe in the urban setting, or is it more severe in a, a rural setting. We have more in common than we have that divides us, I think. That's probably very true. That's probably true. Okay. All right. Well, that will probably do it for us for this edition of Facts Matter. Thank you for listening. Remember, the Citizens Research Council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with our blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit through the generosity of Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click on the contribution button on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmich at crcmich.org. I'm Nancy Derringer. And I'm Craig Thiel. <laughs> and until next time, we leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about.